Coming up next is Focus on the Family. I'm Brett Ryan, encouraging you to visit us online for helpful articles, resources for your family, or a download of this program. Visit families.org.au or call 1300 300 361. I had to replace all that negative stuff with God's word where I said, I am the righteousness of God. Yeah. You know, I am his child and I'm not afraid. On the outside, Russ Taff was a Grammy and Dove Award winning Christian music artist. But for so long on the inside, he was living a life filled with confusion and damaged emotions. Russ and his wife, Tori, join us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, there are many thousands of people uh, who are among the walking wounded in the culture today, some Christian and some non-Christian, just people. Mm -hmm. This is what life is. It throws curveballs at us, and it deals us blows, and it usually starts in childhood. Things that occur that shape our outlook on life, that shape our emotional responses, sometimes we call them triggers, whatever they might be. And I think the Lord's all about helping us deal with that, mm -hmm. to get to know who we are deep inside. You know, the Lord says He knows our heart better than we know our heart. Right. It's sometimes hard to fathom that that can be true, but He does. And so what He wants for us is an abundant life, a, a loving life. You may not be experiencing the same exact things that Russ and Tori experienced, but put yourself uh, in their shoes with whatever it is that you've experienced. Yeah. Uh, the book that we're talking about is Russ's story. It's called I Still Believe, A Memoir of Wreckage, Recovery, and Relentless Love. And uh, Russ and Tori, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. Thank I you love that uh, headline, that uh, title, Relentless Love especially. Mm -hmm. That is kind of the way it works, huh? We oh. go through wreckage. Mm -hmm. uh, we begin to recover. If we do it out of our own power, it usually doesn't stick. Right. And then eventually, hopefully, that relentless love that we find in Christ. And that is the story. Thank you for being on Focus on the Family. Oh, <laughs> it's like we're at the end now. Let's just jump back. Uh, but, Russ, let's get into it, uh, that dramatic and painful story that God's given you. You know, many people listening have had trouble in this life. And you come to a fork in the road. You either say, okay, Lord, how do I roll forward? Or you become bitter and resentful. Maybe shake your fist at God. I think both roads God's pleased with. I mean, He wants yeah. you to be honest and all those things. Describe uh, your childhood, that abusive beginning that you had. How would you characterize it? Um, it started with um, when I was young. Daddy was a Pentecostal preacher, and he preached a hard gospel. I mean, a hard gospel that no one could live up to. He couldn't do it. What do you mean by hard gospel? Um, clothes, hair, right? Um, attitude, um, rules, 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 kind rules, of rules, legalistic. Rules. Yes, Friendly. yeah, very, very legalistic. And so, growing up in that environment, and then having your dad, and it started when I was seven that uh, he didn't show up at church one night. And I went home to find him. We lived about a half a block from the church. And I heard this voice in the back bedroom, and, and he was singing, but it didn't sound like my dad. And I went back there, and I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen anybody drunk. Oh, uh huh. And uh, so I, I went back to the church and got Mama, my oldest brother. And when Mom walked in, she was like, oh, Joe, oh, Joe. It's like, here we go again, here we go again. You had seven years. Uh, of sobriety and he never 
stop until he died. He would always get three months relapse, a year relapse, uh, and never could. I could see he, he preached such a hard gospel. He did not like himself. It mm. was a uh, – he couldn't live up to it. And I think it would just build, 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 and it's like, I'm going to go shut my head off. And and the Lord knows how he yeah. was raised. In that context, so you you know, that starts at seven where you see this I mean, basically the scripture calls that hypocrisy. Right, absolutely. It had to confuse you in oh, terms Lord. of is God real? Yes. I mean if I were that seven year old, that's what I would be asking, okay, is this real or is this a is this a show? And right. Keeping the family secrets was part of the most damaging aspect of it. I think. I think yeah. being taught, it wasn't even focusing on the hypocrisy as much as it was just, you don't talk about mm. what happens. Well, and that was one of the worst uh, beatings I ever got. It was, um, I, I went to spend the night with one of my little friends who, they went to Daddy's church, and I'd mentioned to him that Mom and Dad had an argument. And my older brother told Mom, and she was waiting for me when I got home. And, I mean, just as soon as that I... That you had shared the secret. Yes. And because they're supposed to be perfect. Yeah, and uh, I mean, she mm. was throwing her shoes at me, screaming, and then came over and started punching me in my face with her fist, screaming the whole time. You don't tell secrets. You don't talk to anybody about this family. And but then that led into with Mama when I was eleven. You know, you're dealing with a dad who is preaching. You know, and then he's he's drunk, preaching, then he's drunk, and there's a thing called covert incest. And it's not physical touching, but it's like when emotional. Yeah, a spouse takes a child, like a spouse, to talk. Right. And so it started when I was eleven because she couldn't talk outside the family either. She needed a release valve, and so she chose me. And I would have to sit on the side of the bed, and she would just dump on me. What for people that may be in that situation, they don't even realize it. What, describe what that would sound like. What was she saying to you that that was inappropriate? Uh, we are, you're 11 years old and you're here, we're probably not going to be able to pay our rent this month. Because dad's drinking. Because dad's, you know, he can't work and uh, you kids aren't going to have lunch money. So nothing uh, but fear. Oh, she would dump all this fear on me and then she would feel and better and go to bed. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with all of this stuff and now, wh- who, what do I do with it? Right. And so you internalize, internalize, uh, and then you put God's face in the middle of all that and it's just Chaos. Yeah, and that you lived in that chaos until seventeen, right? Yep. So nothing. The pattern never really changed no. that whole time. No, your dad didn't have an experience where he began to do better for no. a long period of time. Your mom continued to lean on you emotionally. Mm-hmm. At seventeen, you decided to leave the home, right? Well, it was my last year of high school, and I let we left California. That's where we were living at the time, and we moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas, because dad had preached at a church there during the summer. Right. And they said, we'll try to help. And so we moved back there. But he relapsed again. Uh, I think he almost had two years just really trying, and then he just relapsed, and he never came home. Did you ever, and I guess this is a little off track, but did you ever have a chance to talk to your dad about why? No. So he he passed away. He would not go there. He, he just would wouldn't open up. He tried. Because, you know, for many people listening, for some, I, I wouldn't say many, but they may be in a spot where they're battling this. You know, they have their demons from their past, mm-hmm. but they want to be on fire for the Lord. And it's constant tug of war of good and evil. You know, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, it cuts through the heart of every human being. Well, Jesus, more importantly, said it too, right. that we're all sinners saved by grace. 
seeing that in your father, how do you get on top of that so that you don't have to live in that bondage? You don't know how. It was just always condemnation, condemnation. But I think the most damaging thing that happened to me and my brothers daily, you're not worth a bullet to shoot you with. Yeah. You're not worth the salt that goes on your bread. You will never amount to anything. And for me, it was, why can't you be more like your cousin, who was a great athlete, a student? And, wow. Uh, and so uh, there's that daily feed. So damaging. They, and so uh, at 22 years old, I joined the Imperials, and I come to Nashville, but I'm carrying guilt the whole time because yeah. you'd win a Grammy. I don't deserve this. Right, right. It's, it's never enough. Yeah. Let me get to Tori before we yes. get to the career because that is important. But somewhere in between that 17-year-old experience and the 22-year-old experience, you two meet. Tori, yeah, yeah. why don't you yeah. tell us we about did. that? And were you aware of this chaos? Oh, absolutely not. He covered beautifully. When I met him um, – I was in high school. He was out of high school at that point, and um, it was at a church retreat that I was dragged kicking and screaming to. <laughs> and he was singing, and and I just thought he was incredibly interesting. I was a youth pastor funny. there, and, yeah. And um, I was dating somebody, so I wasn't interested in that. I just thought I was mesmerized by him. He was and funny. Funny goes a long way in my family. Yes. And um, so as we started dating, and and then we were engaged. We were engaged for a year. We were already engaged and had the wedding date set when the Imperials opportunity came. So all of a sudden, everything changed and, and we're going. But what I saw was a um, – I knew he loved God and God was as real to him as I was to him. So that you didn't see any cracks or weaknesses? No. No. I, and yeah. I mean, I saw, he was a human being. I didn't have him completely on a pedestal. But the reality of his relationship with God was very solid and um, – he was moody. He was, and I always, I grew up with a lot of creatives in my family, and I, and I was a writer, and so I, I you understood that it. didn't throw me. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't know what all he was hiding. So you you get into the Imperials, which was a very uh, you know famous Christian group at the time, yeah. and you know making albums, doing concerts. I think literally all over the world. Yeah, right. I mean, you weren't just here in the U.S. You're right. going to Australia, Europe, mm -hmm. and. And that's heady stuff, I mean, even for Christians, because I know some of those artists today, and that can be, it's a difficult schedule, you're away from your family a lot, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people giving you accolades for how well you sing and all those kinds of things. Right. But you didn't feel sufficient. No. It, you have a bucket with a hole in it, and you got thousands of people telling how wonderful you are, but you know. You know, you know um, who you are, and that condemnation consistently reminds you you're not good enough, you're not worth it. Sooner or later, people are going to find out that your mom and dad were right, and you're not worth a bullet to shoot you with. And they're going to come back and take all these Grammys, and um, mm -hmm. and take out uh, you know the Dove Awards and things like that. And so, I took all those years, the 17 years of chaos and trauma, major trauma. And I shoved it over here and acted like it didn't happen. Yeah. And I'm this born-again believer singing the gospel, and I was, you know, preaching the gospel. And uh, can I backtrack just a little bit? Jesus and I had a connection when I was 12, when Mama started dumping on me. And I had heard that Jesus was a friend, and you could talk to him. I don't know who... You know, uh, gave you that idea. Gave me that yeah. idea, but it, it was there. And I remember I was twelve, and they they threw us out of the church because you can't have a drunk pastor. But I had my little uh, guitar 
and, and I would sing. Yeah. And I, that's something I could do. I would learn a song through the week, and then my deal was uh, Saturday night or Sunday night. We were in church four nights a week. I would sing my song and play my guitar. So I walk in. I go back down there. They voted Daddy out. He can't be there. And my uncle had taken over. And I walked in the door with my little card box, you know, guitar case, and my uncle stopped me. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sing my song. And he goes, we don't want you here. Mm. And wow. uh, I, I said, I didn't do anything wrong. And he goes, well, you're a son, and we don't want any of you here. And so mm. I, I go back to the house. Uh, I mean, there's just rejection on all fronts. Yeah. But Mama had a key to the church, and uh, late at night. And when there's trauma, chaos, addiction, you can stay out to five in the morning. Nobody cares. Right. Uh, and I would take the key, and I would go into that little bitty church, and I wouldn't turn the lights on. And when you're twelve, it's scary. Think of that. A dark church. Yeah. And I would feel my way to the front, and I wouldn't turn on lights because people would drive by and see lights on. Uh, but there was a little lamp. Uh, at the front of the church on a little desk and I would feel my way down there and I would turn that little lamp on and I would I would either kneel down or I would sit and I would cry until Jesus how I felt and uh, how scared I was and how troubled I was and uh, but somehow it soothed me a little bit. Yeah. And so I continued it and continued it. Well, Mama would dump on me, and I'm carrying all the stuff that uh, I would go down there afterwards, and I would tell Jesus. And so during that time, he became a friend, yeah. the guy that I could tell my secrets to. And uh, so that started back then. That's why I couldn't walk, walk away from Jesus. Yeah. I couldn't because he that was the only was one helping me. Yeah. And uh, so anyway. No, that's good. And, and uh, man, I see the pain. I see your tears. I mean, that's still raw. And it will be raw for your entire life because yeah. that was hard to go through. <laughs> Carrying all of this stuff from my childhood and the voices daily, you're not worth it. You're not good enough. Yeah. And, and I would beg God to take it away. I'd beg him to take it away and, you know, renewing my mind. And I try to meditate on scriptures, but when there's trauma, when there's pain, uh, it's hard to sit and meditate on scriptures. But we were in New York, and I never drank because of daddy. I was 26. But there were three Heinekens. And in Nashville, there is some social drinking with Christians. Right. And, I, you know, if you want to have a glass of wine, you know, I don't sit and judge people. That's between them and God. And... Uh, a lot of people aren't designed the way I'm designed. I can't do it. I can't be right. around it at all. So you're in the room, and there were some. Yeah, there were three Heinekens in the, in the refrigerator, yeah. and it was July in New York on a fifth store apartment building with not a good air conditioner. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll, you know, some of my friends would play golf, and they'd have a beer at the end of it, and you know, I never would, but maybe this will help cool me off. And I had one, and um, and I started feeling something. Hmm. So I had another, and um, I started feeling better about myself. And by the third one, all the voices were silent. Hmm. 
And I told Tori the day after, it's like, this must be the way real, I I mean, normal people people live without all of this stuff on their head, Mm -hmm. not knowing that I was being set up to become my dad. Right. And you're talking about bringing hatred on. Yeah. You're looking, I mean, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and say. Self-hatred. Yes. I become him. The thing that you loathe the most, you became. I became, and I'm traumatizing her. Just like my dad traumatized me. Well, and speak to that. What was the duration of this, uh, Tori? What did your marriage look like? What You now see the cracks. You know, the I funny, did. creative musician is now showing you, because he can't hide it. Well, he did. Okay. <laughs> really, really well. I was good at hiding. I was good. He not, learned not literally at his father's knee yeah. how to hide. Right. The next day we went to see a Broadway show. He kept excusing himself to go to the bathroom. And I was entranced with Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And he <laughs> right. was going because he, there was a bar. And so I'd go by there and uh, on the way to the bathroom. And, and then I'd go back, have a drink, and then go back and sit down. And I don't know how many times I did this that. This is the next day. Yeah. So the very next it, day it when I introduced hold. him. Right. There is a genetic component that you can't ignore Correct. as well as he was set up. It was a perfect storm. Right. Um, so what I started seeing, and the drinking progressed pretty quickly, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. But the behavior, what I saw, because I didn't see him drunk. Yeah. I didn't see him. He wasn't staggering in and throwing up on my couch he was gone a lot he was the self-hatred started manifesting itself as distance and isolation and he was snappish he was turned inward it was dark we always have had an easy connection we've always had a um we were buddies as well as i was we were crazy about each other and that buddy was going away yeah and continue to go away until the point and we don't need to, you know, kind of celebrate all the negative, but it got to the point where you felt you had to go talk to an attorney. Yeah. And that was yeah. that got everybody's attention. So, you know, this is a sensitive area and there are I'm sure some wives, maybe some husbands who are in a similar spot, they're thinking my relationship with my spouse is on a string. Mm-hmm. Um and they're contemplating this. Speak to that, walk us through the Mm -hmm. thinking and then what god began to do in both of your hearts from that point it took 10 years almost well no yeah close to that before he was diagnosed so yeah and we knew alcohol was the problem he went to treatment came back there would be a period of up to a decade but as they say in a lot of programs and therapists and we had plenty of both thank god there's a ism and once you take the alcohol out, you still have the ism. And the ism was all of the part that wasn't healed and that hadn't been dealt with. And we sat in therapist's office, and he told his true but sad stories again and again to the point that it was it was not a shock that he had had a hard upbringing. Right. We got that. But the depth of it and the trauma, the physical violence in that home oh, had never really been addressed. Mm-hmm. So as... I would barely begin to hope again, and we would have this period of calm, and we would have this, de- you know, years. Um, but it wasn't healed. It was, uh, and he was working hard. He was, yeah, and this is really important because in reading the book, it, it comes out so beautifully that people are trying to help you with the alcoholism, mm-hmm. but someone came along all these years later and yes. said, "You got to go to the root. Yes. The alcoholism yeah. is the symptom. Absolutely, there's a root." What happened in that conversation? Why was that different? 
there was uh, someone in the book and in the in the documentary. We call her Mama June, and she's the one that she and her husband Bud took me in when yeah. I was seventeen. Oh, really? Wow! And, There's a story. And I mean, they saved me. I mean, they got me out of the system I was in, and I got to see for a few years a happy, healthy marriage and health, happy, healthy kids. And so I, I got to see what that was like. But she loved me enough to tell the truth. Yeah. And so that got my attention. And and that made that started went into my head because I mean to really stress here I was two different people. Yeah, I would shove the trauma in the childhood and all of that stuff to the side, and I was a minister of the gospel, and so I lived this two different personalities. No, I get it, and it's so important for people mm-hmm. to hear because I know there's somebody listening right now, and this has grabbed your heart, and it may be more than one. It could be dozens. It could be hundreds. Yeah. Could be thousands. Because this life is all about what you experienced, yeah. especially in the church. And this isn't aimed at any particular denomination no, or anything else. This whole pattern of being two people and not going through the sanctification process, right. which is what the Lord wants. He loves us. He cares for us. But he's also honest and truthful with Absolutely. our behavior. He wants us to live better. Right. So in that context, I mean, speak to that person. Get to that place and explain how you kicked off the other guy, how you put him where he needed to be, and how you embraced God and understood his love for you, maybe for the very first time. Yeah. It was to realize there is help. There is help. But I got to tell somebody. You can't carry this by yourself. And work it out on your own. And work it out on your own because you can't. You don't know how. And so you carry this deep inside and you beg God to take it away, whatever it is. Um, But trauma. It changes your brain. It changes the way your brain works. It really does. So to encourage the folks, the first thing I did, you had to do, is to tell somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. And to say, I am struck, but risk telling somebody. And I always tell them, you know, when we talk about this stuff, is find somebody that their life has been broken and God has put it back together because they can listen to you and not judge you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we did the DVD and the book and everything yeah. else. And I really felt like if I risk and told my secret, that people would say, well, you know, they didn't throw him out, you know, and we still love him. Because I tell you, I'm one person that knows what the love of God is and the mercy and grace of God. But I'm also one that knows how the body of Christ loves somebody that's broken. Yeah, They did. And how the body of Christ wrapped their arms around me and said, we're not going to let you go. Yeah, When I was so scared and confused and not knowing what to do. But, you know, you can be transformed by the the renewing of your mind. I had to replace all that negative stuff with with God's word where I said, I am the righteousness of God. You know, I am his child and I'm not afraid. And and so I began to say all those. And I used to write it on the wall, my mirror, you know, the dry erase of my declaration of who I am today. And I'm not that, you know, loser guy that I was told I was supposed to be, but I'm Dearly loved by God. When I'm good, when I'm bad, I'm dearly loved by God. Well, that's true of each one of us, and that's Mm -hmm. the key. And we just have to embrace that and then let the Lord do his work in our heart. Can I make make one more thing? And people listening, uh, and what I've seen on the road is like they have children that that are going through this. 
Oh, yeah. They have spouses that are going through this. They have grandkids that are going through this. And just to say, there is hope. Well, um, listen, we can't say it any better. And if, again, you are in that spot or someone you love is in that spot, uh, what a great resource for you. Uh, Russ Taff, uh, along with the story of Tori, his wife uh, included, I still believe um, what a beautiful expression of God's healing of brokenness. And, you know, Russ and Tori, the thing that this says to me is we need to be more authentic. I love younger Christians. I mean, so many older Christians are so worried about the next generation. And, you know, there may be some things they need to get a little uh, stronger with, but I love their authenticity. And I think with authenticity, God can work with Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm excited about the next generation because I think they know very, very well who they are in Christ. And that's a good thing. Mm And I hope you've been helped by hearing this program today. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. If you'd like a copy of today's broadcast or associated resources, call 1300 300 361 or visit us at families.org.au. 